Hey listener, before we get into this episode, we wanted to give a brief content warning. This episode is going to tackle some pretty heavy topics just by the nature of the subject matter that we're discussing. This episode specifically is going to include content about suicide and self-harm. So if that is like not something you want to fuck with, totally understand. You can go ahead and skip the episode. If you only want to get around those particular parts and know where to look out for them, I will leave timestamps in the description below. With all that out of the way, let's get on with the episode. Welcome to The Third One Sucks, where we rank every movie in a franchise from first to worst. I'm Dan Ellis. I'm Mark Bell. And life and death are of equal value to me. What are we going to talk about today, Mark? Boy, it is finally time after two plus seasons of ringing the anime bell. We're going to start talking about the films of Neon Genesis Evangelion, starting with Death True 2. Evangelion Death True 2 is an animated science fiction psychological drama film directed by Hideki Anno and Masayuki Yamaguchi and produced by Production IG. Composed primarily of re-edited scenes from the anime series Neon Genesis Evangelion, the original version first premiered in Japanese theaters on March 15, 1997 as part of the Neon Genesis Evangelion Death and Rebirth cinematic release. Evangelion Death True 2 stars Megumi Ogata, Katono Mitsushi, Megumi Hayashibara, and Yuki Miyamura, among many others. What is our fan review for this week? Well, Mark, our fan review comes from Rotten Tomatoes fan reviews from Sam F., who said, three stars. This show totally traumatized me for a period of time. <laughs> I know yeah. he was reviewing the movie commenting on the series but i just read that and i was like listen man that's all of us i got that's yep you <laughs> mm-hmm. either you have two reactions to evangelion look mark first of all up top i did it i managed to like not only weasel evangelion into a conversation but now i have forced us to talk about it for several episodes in a <laughs> row i no longer need an excuse because it's actually on <laughs> track like it's if the you thing told we're supposed me to be talking about that the last three years have been entirely a long form gambit to bring us it's to this point it i is, would believe it. it look here's the thing mark is that like in some ways that's kind of true because i know when we sat down to make this show mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i said to you when that last evangelion movie finally comes out whenever <laughs> right. that is we're doing these on the show and you said Please don't hurt me. I have a family. (laughs) (laughs) This is the bit where we say, when did you first see this film? But this Uh film's a bit of a weird bird because it is in many ways a clip show of a year long 26, well, 24. We'll get there. (laughs) It is. It is a clip show of at least 24 episodes of television. So I don't know how you want to answer the when did you first see this question, but answer it however you want to. If we're talking about the series itself, I saw it on Adult Swim uh, and bounced off of it initially Mm -hmm. um, because I was in middle school. And despite being like the perfect age, I think probably for sure, sure. Yep. This to hit home, man, Mark, if I could have gotten into Evangelion at that age, the trajectory of my life, what would it have? (laughs) How different would it have been? (laughs) 
Uh, I was already like having panic attacks about the end of the world. How different <laughs> would it have been for me to have seen this shit? I bounced off of it initially and then I didn't kind of really come back to the show until my early 20s. Mm, and okay. then uh, and then I said, oh, this this is just a part of me now forever. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep. If you are the sort of person Ava vibes with, it just lives with you forever. <laughs> it It just stays in there. And I get that it's not for everyone, and I totally respect that. But for the people who enjoy it, it's just a part of your life now. So that's the first time that I saw the series. And then I guess shortly after that, I would have watched Death and Rebirth for the first time. Mm-hmm. And uh, which is like the the release that this is the Death True 2 is built off of. It's just the death portion of Death and Rebirth. Right. The yeah. rebirth portion to get this all out of the way now. It's just the first like 20 minutes of End of Evangelion, which we'll be covering in the next episode. <laughs> right. Uh, it's and all if you think, kind of a mess. If you think I'm going to be annoying in this episode, listener, <laughs> wait until the next one. What about you, Mark? I experienced this. So we talked a little bit, I think, in the past. I, I got into anime a bit in high school because of Adult Swim comedy, because of that era of. So I watched, you know, Bebop and Trigun and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't really grok Ava. I, I don't think I ever really gave it a try. It just it just missed me. But when I went to college and spent all four years of college consuming every piece of anime I could touch, I was the unsurprisingly, the vice president of my college's nerd group, which is to say the tabletop role-playing group in my nerd. college. Right, and we had a regular anime night. So once a week, we we would all get together in a little auditorium in our college, and every semester we'd watch a an anime series. And my freshman year, first semester, the guy who was the president of the group at the time had just acquired like all of the physical media for Ava and he was a big Ava guy and he's like, this is what we're doing. Everyone strap in. We're just watching Ava. <laughs> he was correct. But that was but that was like two thousand one. So <laughs> Death, Rebirth, and End of Ava were out. And I just saw them all as like one law and he is exactly the sort of guy you think he is. So he explained to all of us who didn't know what we were getting into, like, listen, this is why the ending is what it is, and then this is what this weird movie is, and then this bit's <laughs> really just like a preview for this redone ending. But you know, you know how purists are. So we're going to watch them all. We just watched them all. So I saw this like immediately after finishing episode 26 of Ava. <laughs> gotcha. You said now we're going to watch everything again, but worse. <laughs> yep. What if everything we just watched, but it was just like a little worse all, all around. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what Death True 2 is, because this is a movie podcast. So we're, mm-hmm. we're of necessity not reviewing Neon Genesis Evangelion, the 1995 anime series. We are starting with the first cinematic release, like we do on this show, and the first mm-hmm. cinematic release. It's, yeah, it's, the, it's the world's most bizarre clip show. <laughs> Mark, I, 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 we just litigated how I love this show, like a few other things. Mm-hmm. And... The choices that they make right out of the gate in this thing, which, you know, some of these scenes ended up making its way into the director's cuts, which is why you don't need this. You can just sure, watch yep. the anything that was new here that was not in the original run of the show is in the director's cuts. And there's a lot more stuff in the director's cuts that's not in this. Um, you don't. I am. A, there are purists that are like, you need to watch every little itty bitty thing that they put out. And I am. Of a hard opinion that you can absolutely skip this and you lose you lose nothing. 
Listener, if you don't know, the end of the series itself was a little bit controversial for maybe funding reasons, for plot reasons, whatever. The final two episodes are, we'll call them divisive. Yeah, in layman's terms, like it had 26 episode run. The last two episodes were much more art housey abstract. Yep. Um, sort of ending that focused on the internal uh, struggles of the characters. And it didn't put a lot of emphasis on what was happening externally. Yes. Um, and that upset a lot of viewers because they were watching their big punch opera robot show descend over the last like five episodes prior to that into this weird, like super heavy psychological horror show. <laughs> right. And then that's the ending that they got. And people were understandably like, well, you didn't, we didn't get to see all the things that you've been teasing for this whole show. We just saw what was happening in the characters' psyches. And like, there's some debatability between like, is this what Anno intended originally? Was this a truncated version of that thing? Um, I think the story between the two, there's parody. It's You're seeing practically the same exact events play out in both the TV ending and in End of Evangelion. You're yes. just viewing them from a different angle. Um, yes. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. It's, it's So it's not exactly a replacement per se, but more a companion piece and in some places an expansion of. But it does some rewriting kind of in a soft sense. It's Yeah, it is. It's in a whole the same thing. way that those director's cuts exist for episodes mm-hmm. uh, 21 through 24. Um, they are marked with, we were talking about this prior to starting the show with like a little, uh, like apostrophe after it or like a single quote mark, whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. it. And that's how they denote the episode 25 and 26 that make up end of Evangelion as well. So like they just are functionally the director's cuts episodes, like versions Mm -hmm. of, of the ending of the show. That's what they are. Yeah, very much so. And before we got to End of Evangelion, the film, we released this film Mm -hmm. uh, as part of Death and Rebirth, which was effectively a clip show, a a one hour recap of the series and then like a short 20 minute teaser of what was coming for End of Evangelion. So it was more of like a stage setting in a lot of ways than it is a work that stands on its own. I really think this is going to be a challenge to discuss because it like this movie presumes that the viewer has a lot of knowledge about the series. You're not coming to this movie without knowledge about this series, Mm -hmm. but we cannot make the same presumption of our podcast audience. Right, right. But we also can't discuss 26 episodes of a series in a 90 minute podcast so it's going to be a challenge listener we'll do our best i did mark i know we just we just had that this whole like breakdown of us trying to do our best but you have a bullet point on here that just says there's a butt and that's very funny to me (laughs) hey man there's a butt what do you want from me there's a butt that happens a lot in this show unfortunately it does i mean to be fair there's far less in the cut down sequence than there is in the series itself that's true. There's less in there's much less in the series than I think there is in Rebuild. Um, anyway, how do we how do we talk about this thing? So broadly speaking, what is what is Neon Genesis Evangelion? Um, <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Let's give us some framework. First of all, this movie 
if you want to call it that. <laughs> it starts out with the some weird choices being made. It shows like the intro to episode like the director's cut of episode twenty one, um, the Antarctica Adam scene, whatever. That this of mm-hmm. course means nothing to the listener yet. <laughs> but it has that, and then it's just like this weird hodgepodge of things, and then it's like, okay, now we're gonna do opening credits. Remember when there were opening credit roles in movies? Yeah. We get one in this, and that's nice. Of just the character Shinji playing cello, and then there's a credits <laughs> roll. Um, who's Shinji? So Shinji's our main character. He's a 14-year-old boy, sent off to live with his teacher. Uh, his dad works for an underground organization, uh, a clandestine organization that answers to the UN, supposedly, called NERV, uh, that was developed to fight these big kaijus called angels. Okay? It's pretty, yep. You're yep. pretty run-of-the-mill mecha anime at this point. Shinji gets called in by his dad because his dad needs him to come do robot stuff. He's going to be our robot boy. So he's going to get in that robot and he's going to go fight the. No, Shinji's not going to get in that robot and go fight the. Shinji's terrified. (laughs) (laughs) Shinji is not interested in your robot fighting. Thank you. This is the framework with which we're going to view like the rest of the series is that Shinji is not your gung ho protagonist. Who's going to get in the thing and fight and do all the, uh, the punching and kicking and winning. That's not who Shinji is. And that's not even perhaps more importantly, that's not the story that this anime is telling. It's not telling a giant punching robot story, even though there are a lot of giant punching robots in this story. Yeah. There are a lot of robots to do a lot of giant punching. And there's a lot of really cool lore behind all of the robot kaiju punching that's happening. And I'm sure we'll probably get into some of that over the course of this, but it's not the point of the show. We, come to find out the point of the show actually is is you gotta learn to love yourself bud <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and all this other set dressing is really cool and uh horrifying at times but it's really about a boy learning to understand that he deserves to like be alive and exist yes that he does not have to justify his own existence mm-hmm. that his existence is a starting point on its own Yep. This is our first character. This this movie kind of sets things up where it's like, we're going to tell you uh, basically a clip show vignette of what these characters go through over the course of the series. And we start with Shinji. And yeah, Shinji's we're going to kind of see each of our four. You hate to call them like the four leads, but that's a f- effectively what they are, even though one of them doesn't join till the last 20% of the show. That, I, that boy is, is maybe the most important character in this show. Right? And I'll die on that hill. And he's only <laughs> in one episode of the series proper. Even in your breakdown, he takes up more space than Asuka. <laughs> <laughs> I love Asuka very much. I do. But mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I love yeah. that goofy German girl who's so serious. <laughs> very super serious. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> this is a television show. And then by extension clip show of that television show. Uh, movie that is just about people working through their own internal shit because the person who made it was horrifyingly depressed could not get any series of his to stick and off the ground for several years after his prior project nadia and secret of the blue water which 
already he had to have a bunch of help on to like so his like little production company Gynax who that started out by them just making Ultraman fan films with each other (laughs) right which I love that and I love that now he has like someone gave him the key to make an Ultraman film like whenever I heard that I was like perfect this is all he's ever wanted like (laughs) finally they gave this man like the thing he's wanted to do since he was in college (laughs) <laughs> he was in a bad way when he started making the show and if you watch the show you you can tell it's oh, not oh yes it is not in the least optimistic yeah this is not uh, a happy time show it is not a happy time show there's some happy time <laughs> moments and there's some levity Absolutely. for sure particularly in the action arc uh, when they want you to think hey we're winning i like evangelion because it almost works off of like an inverted story circle Right? Mm. Where, like, uh, we do have a character, like, does leave his zone of comfort, Shinji does, and then, like, he goes on his thing. But where there's normally, like, that, like, we start off and there's, like, that hesitancy to do the thing. He does do that, and then he crosses that threshold and he goes, and now he's an Ava pilot. But we never, he's never, like, comfortable in it when he normally would be in that early story circle. Like, where you, like, you feel confident, and then you have the descent part, like, where you're like, oh, no, now the bad thing (laughs) Mm -hmm. happens. In the normal story circle where that, oh no, now a bad thing is happening and we have to recover from it, that's where the action arc is in the show. And that's where Shinji's the most comfortable doing the pilot thing. And then when we get back around to the, okay, we're out of the bad times and we're heading back around, we're on like, we're at, uh, on a clock, we're like at eight o'clock now and we're, it's the journey back up, right? And we're going to come home changed. That's <laughs> right? when yeah. the descent arc hits and that's when things yeah. get real bad. Yeah. And as a whole, this whole thing is like it's at once a love letter to all the things that Anno grew up you know loving like robot and mm-hmm, sentai mm-hmm. shit common rider etc yep um but it's also a deconstruction of all of those things and like that's yeah, just one yeah. example of how it deconstructs those things so yeah like this we're really learning about shinji through this first section and we're seeing like some of the early stuff where he fights two angels that's satchel and sam shell one of them is a big uh, skeleton thing that grows two faces, and the other yep. one looks like a big purple penis. Um, there's no, sure does. there's no sugarcoating it. <laughs> Sam Shell looks like just a big dick. You could name it Dickie L, and it would not <laughs> yeah. be any more on the nose of what it's about. Also worth noting that all of these names, none of these are mentioned in the movie. This is just my <laughs> rickety memory trying to put these pieces together for our notes. Yeah, and they're flashed on screen, like, maybe once or twice in the show. No one looks at it and goes, that's Satchiel. It's just, like, on the screen as the designation. (laughs) And these are just random, like like biblical angel names. Like Yeah. I really even biblical because it's like canon that came like it's like extra biblical canon for all these angels. It's like Catholicism shit. B and C canon. So that's what happens in the Shinji section. And like, we see him moving in with Masato, who is his caretaker. She basically plays new mom in this. Yeah. The relationship between Masato and Shinji is complex. Yeah. Because Masato doesn't, both Masato and Shinji don't love the relationship that they have and or had with their fathers. Right. Yes. And so like, we're seeing two broken people trying to play house yeah yeah we're like they're doing their best to try and do what the other thinks like they should be doing yep hey um, how was school today are you coming home for dinner boy i really enjoyed that you know all of that kind of stuff yeah against the trappings of both of them being scions of these crazy like 
sort of evil scientists <laughs> and yeah, and continuing this like horrifying okay. fight on the edge of humanity's survival but then they're going home and talking about how school was today yeah because you still got to go to school even during the end of you know how we're in a pandemic and they're still making kids go to school <laughs> right. evangelion nailed it they're like no <laughs> you're still gonna have to go to no everybody still has to go to work even though these giant like creatures are destroying these big this big existential terror that's looming literally overhead whenever you go outside right doesn't fucking matter. We the cogs of capitalism must keep turning. <laughs> yep. Humanity may be at risk. Hundreds of thousands of people may be dying. You need to get to work. But the line has to go up, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> um we can't hurt the rich people's feelings. So yeah, um I do like all of these clips that we get, and it's hard to communicate that effectively when talking about this movie, but because I know this show, I get excited because these good they're good punchy fights, and yeah, my brain not... can backfill all of the context because I have the context. Right, right. And so it's eliciting emotional reactions from me because it's highlighting things that I know and enjoy, but in a very weird and stilted and chopped up way. This is the part in the notes that says there's a butt. Which butt is this? This is, uh, okay, so uh, Masato and Shinji are at the dinner table. Okay. And Masato is leaning over the the dinner table. Yeah. Yep. And the camera just, like, frames Shinji, like, through the triangle created by Masato's arm and leg. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to play the game of, like, I'm going to excuse away every weird leering shot of an individual's body, much less children's bodies in some of these cases, as purely artistic choices. Um, But at least in this one, like, she is towering over Shinji. And mm-hmm. we know that he is like leering down the front of her shirt from his angle. Yep. So yep. Th- like the way the camera is positioned is intentional. Like, yeah, it's within like... the context of the scene mm-hmm. in this case for yeah. there. There is I'm not excusing it, but I'm saying like, it at least is serving the purpose. It's like, it has a purpose that it's serving. Even right. if I don't necessarily agree with them doing it, there is within all of Ava, some fan service, just straight up fan service. But there often is also context to it, which doesn't make it right, but makes it a lot better than just like, hey, everyone, it's the beach episode. Right. It, there's a lot less of it's the beach episode where we stare at teenagers <laughs> right. in bikinis. Or the hot springs like episode. Not weird. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> they don't they don't have we don't have a beach episode of evangelion we kind of we get like an inverted beach episode in the rebuilds but um in, in 2.22 when they go to the, the ship that's kind of like an inverted oh beach episode. fair yep kind of um it has that tone of one right i don't know we'll get to that movie when we get to it uh we get so, yeah. i think at least one of shinji running away yeah because this is a theme for shinji the... throughout right that he's mm-hmm Two times primarily we see him trying to run away from his responsibilities at Nerve. Yes. And and that war within him is constantly going. Like twice it mm-hmm. boils to a point that he outright leaves. Mm-hmm. But that war is kind of always living it. And that's a big part of what the whole series is about is Shinji grappling with what he's doing and his responsibility to it. Yeah. Again, he's not the I'm going to go punch the big monster and save the day guy. We When we do see him being the remarkably consistent thing about this series through all iterations of it 
is that when we see Shinji being like, I'm going to go do the punch thing, a bad thing happens when he tries to be that guy. Yes. That's not who he is. And that's not what the show is trying to. It's setting it up that like you can't bury these things and just pretend to be tough and these things go away. That's not how it works. <laughs> yeah, we get to see him run away the first time. He comes back and we, I don't think they include it. I don't know why they don't include it, especially whenever they're teeing up in Evangelion and there's thematic, uh, like, what's the word? Symmetry there between um, the I'm home, welcome home. Uh, mm, I don't think they mm-hmm, show that particular mm-hmm. bit. They they show everything around it where he runs away and then comes back to Masada. Right. Um, I don't necessarily agree with all of the individual choices that were made, but um, we do kind of get a little bit inside of Shinji's head. Not as much as I would like us to. There's a lot of very important bits that are in the series that... I feel that way about all of these segments. Yeah. Ray gets a real big chunk. And even her, even her, I would argue that we're not really... We're not like the point of these, I think, is to sort of highlight the journey of each of these four kids. And I never really feel with any of them that we get into inside their heads, that that we really get to the heart of what any of their journey is. It's much more of a gloss. There is net. We never get to see any Hell Train scenes with Shinji. Uh, what in the fandom you're right, we refer to as the Hell Train, which are like some of those big, like really introspective moments for him as a character happen uh, in that headspace. And it's called the hell train because it's spooky and it, it's like yep. an, an internal hell and the little literal set dressing within his head as he's on a, like a subway train. That's why we call it the hell train. Um, Cause I'm sure somebody's gonna be like hell train. What the fuck does that mean? There's an- there's the angels and monsters and robots. And now there's right, a train right. from hell. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, that's what's going on there. We don't get any of them in this film for whatever reason we don't i feel like we should have gotten more of that introspective stuff from the characters but it feels like it's so torn between like i have to do a quick bullet point of the plot yeah yep. uh, that we don't really get into what actually like really matters about these characters and that's like which, that's right, why which this, leaves I you ultimately with the question of why does this exist yeah why am i watching this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So that's the Shinji portion. He's going to, I mean, he's Shinji. He's going to show up in everyone else's bits. Mm-hmm. But we go back to the orchestra. And basically the way this is framed is someone else is going to, like Shinji's doing his cello practice. And then each of the other kids is going to kind of come and join in for practice. And as they join, we see their flashbacks, right? Yeah, it's a weird framing device. I think it is good. I think it's a good idea. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. And I like just like this idea of them all playing like this music together and they're like weaving the story as with their, right. all their individual parts make up more of a whole. Like it's a good metaphor. Yep. It's good. As a framing device, very good one. It's not executed on well, but it is a good idea. And now I guess we, now it's Asuka time. Now Asuka's Asuka here. time. So Asuka's here. Asuka's a, a redhead, half German, half Japanese girl from yes. Germany uh, who is the second child. She was the second within the lore of the show. She's like the <laughs> right. second person chosen to pilot these robots. Yes. She's the, yep. the second child that was found. The Ray, children are, that's it. Within Ava parlance, the children are a very specific set of people who have been chosen to pilot the Avas. That's our kids that yeah. we're talking about here. Right. These we're are, not just these calling are... them the children like we're saying, oh, it's our lovely children. No, that's that's what the show calls them. 
the literal uh, words that come out of the Japanese original version is like literally they call them whatever number children. So it's like first children, but that's right. not how English works. Right. And yeah. so anyone adapting it worth a damn would obviously change that to child because yeah. that's the yeah. singular of children. That's how the words work. We do have a child that doesn't get talked about much. We kind of gloss over them in this this uh, recap as well. We'll get there when we get there. Um, so the Oscar scenes are happening. And like she's the second Ava pilot that was chosen. Ray is the first child who we have not talked about. Shinji, our main boy, is third the third child. Which And these are all arbitrary because we come to find out that like the Marduk Institute, who is supposed to be choosing all of these mm-hmm. uh, children through some scientific testing method to determine whether that's all bullshit uh, <laughs> within the lore of the show. Like they're straight up yep. like, Oh, this doesn't actually exist. It's literally just nerve picking them because uh, spoiler alert, their mommy's souls are crammed into the robots that they're piloting. Yeah. That's what's with happening. One exception, or two. I don't know. Uh, with two exceptions, I guess. <laughs> right. Because, because, like Ray and, and Karu don't work that way, but everyone else works that way. Yeah. Um, they they work for other reasons, which I'm sure we'll get into. Right. Ray's got her own deal going on with mommy stuff. Yeah. I Look, Mark, I'm very impressed that you pulled a lot of these names off the top of your head um, for these angels. <laughs> just gonna, I'm just going to give you that off the top because she does fight Gagiel here, which is like the shark angel. Which is a great set piece. It's a great introduction to the Asuka character. She's on a ship being transported over uh, from the German branch of Nerve with uh, Kaji, <laughs> who is another character that he's... Kaji's like... How do we describe Kaji? He has the 90s ponytail that every nerd had. He does. Um, yep. I, I, I don't know. Not Kaji is like what every one of those ponytailed nerds thought they were. Uh, yes. I feel like. Yeah. He um, is the platonic <laughs> ideal of that archetype. Kaji's not something to aspire to, mind you. Like, he does not understand <laughs> physical boundaries when it comes to Masato, and, like, specifically. Yep. Um. Uh. But he's like this weird James Bond kind of figure that exists in the show. Yeah. Um, but, like, but more working man, James Bond. Like, Yeah, he is. Kaji is in many ways a master spy slash triple agent. Mm-hmm. Like that's his deal, but he doesn't have the suave Bond vibe so much. No, he's it's a he's it's very, a weird sort of nerd suave. He's like under he's like yeah he's like this very understated working class. I have a stubbly face. I'm not trying to be like the most put together guy. I'm just this frumpy, mm-hmm. like early thirties dude. Um, <laughs> uh, and I'm unassuming because of that. People like. It feels to me like a very intentional choice on that character's part of being like, if I look like I don't have my shit together, they won't like that plays into this idea that I'm not, you know, like a triple agent for the Japanese government nerve and this organization called Sele that we're going to find out about later, I'm sure. Yeah. Yep. Well, yeah, I don't know. He, Kaji comes over with him. Uh, Asuka has a crush on Kaji, who's a whole ass man. Yeah, he's threaded through the background of many of these characters. Yeah. Because he's a triple agent super spy, so he's he's working in the background of 80% of the plots that are happening. He's, he's connected mm-hmm. to in some capacity. So, like, he shows up directly or indirectly in almost everybody's backstory. He is why the characters 
come to find out that the Marduk Institute that we talked about earlier doesn't exist. That it's just yes. Like he is the one who uncovers that information while he's sticking his nose where it doesn't belong. Um, <laughs> yep. And he gets shot because of it. So yeah, I don't know. Asuka has a thing for Kaji. Kaji, uh, in a move uh, surprisingly mature for him, is like, yo, you're a child. No. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, listen, doesn't you're a cool even... kid, but emphasis on the kid part of that statement. Yeah, he, like, he g- does not entertain, like an adult should, entertains no advances from this Accurate. literal child. <laughs> Uh, he uh, does not understand the boundaries of other adult women, apparently, but at sure, least is not sure. a pedophile. <laughs> so Asuka gets a pretty short shrift here, but I mean, mm-hmm. everyone does, really. It covers some of the big beats that her kind of opening montage tries to help us see her balance between bravado and loneliness, which is one of the things that really appeals to me about her. But we sort of leave her piece with... A hard cut to the like the end of her personal journey, which is when her sync numbers are dropping way down. She's she's legitimately having a a <laughs> series of mental and emotional breakdowns. Right, right. And yeah, that's kind Asuka. of where we depart her in in this particular clip show. Yeah, Asuka gets it rough. She goes through quite a lot. Asuka and Shinji are these sort of mirrors to each other. I think the best way that I can think to like briefly sum that up is like they are opposite sides of the fight or flight response to their trauma. Absolutely. And Asuka is very type A. I'm going to do the things and I'm going to overcome it through like sheer force of will. And I'm the best and I'm going to work my way like through all these things that I can like if I just if I'm just the best, if I can just define myself worth by what I do, then like it (laughs) doesn't then my trauma doesn't matter. I can ignore it. It does. And Shinji is very much like, it does not matter what I do. Yep. Uh, there's not like, they're opposite sides of that same coin. Absolutely. They are very, like, the show works because both of them are what they are. Mm-hmm. And her view very much is, if I can just be perfect, I can take care of everyone. And it's often underplayed because she is at odds with most of the other protagonists most of the time. <laughs> She's yeah. frustrated by Shinji. She straight up doesn't like Rei for mm-hmm. good chunks. She like she because of how she sees the world, she is at odds with most of the rest of the people she works with. But the heart of what she's doing is still it's not I'm going to prove them all wrong. It's I'm going to save them all. And there is certainly an element. She listen, she's a teenage girl. There's certainly an element of I'll show them I'm right. I don't want to I don't want to pretend like that's not there. But so much of her is motivated by if I'm perfect, if I if no one beats me, if I never let myself get beaten, I can save all of these people who just don't understand. They like I see clearly and they they don't. But it but the fact that that Shinji's not willing to fight won't matter if I can fight hard enough. There's certainly like. like some aspect of like i want to be the person to like save the day and stuff 100 percent. yep um i i think like her primary motivator um is is the idea that like this is where she derives her value this is why yeah her life matters um yep and just like like shinji's going through that journey of like why am i here why like is there any value is there any purpose for me to be here why why do i exist it's 
this, it, I mean, that sounds like weird and trite, but like that's that is the show. Is like, <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, they're trying to like find a reason for like why is it okay for me to be here? Is the is yes. the thesis yep. of the show? Yeah, it is very much a people feel the need to justify their existence to prove that they deserve to be alive. And Oscar derives that from piloting. Yes, the Ava, like. She, both Asuka and Shinji were there when their mothers died. Like they yep. both saw yep. their mothers die. We don't, we see it's off screen for Shinji, but we see him during the experiment whenever his mother is absorbed into unit one and it only frames him yep. like as a little boy looking on and watching. And so like, he's not super cognizant of that thing necessarily happening, but like that trauma is inside him somewhere. Yeah. yeah. That is lived trauma. So like they both watched their, mothers like die in front of them effectively that happened to Oscar right when she found out that she was like going to be an Ava pilot. So she dumped all of her self-worth into that because like, yes, her Oscar has a real tragic backstory. We need to spend more time on Oscar in this podcast than the movie does. Is, is what I'm trying <laughs> to say. Cause she's more important than that. In the lore of the show, it's their mothers that are in their respective units that they're using. So yes. Shinji's mom's soul is in unit one and Asuka's mom's soul is in unit two. Uh, when they were doing the contact experiment with Asuka's mother, it didn't accept her the same way that it accepted Yui in, which was like all of Huey's soul was taken into the, right. the big red core that's in the yes, units. like a merge of soul and core. Whenever Asuka's mother did the contact experiment, it like fractured her, her psyche. So only the motherly part of her um, got absorbed. We get we get like kind of trickle feed of like how all these things work within right her, uh, throughout the thing because like the Magi system is built not literally off of Ritsko, the scientist at Nerve's mother's, uh, not literally her in those, but like is based off of her brainwave functions. In yes. three different aspects of her as like a mother, a scientist, and a lover. Um, so like there's these different aspects of people's personality that can be like right different. So she parts is if of nothing them. else like the spiritual template for them. Yeah. Um. And so how that applies here is that like that motherly aspect of like Oscar's mother, like that's the part of her soul that got absorbed into Unit Two, and all the other stuff was still kind of left in the body. Um. And the body survived. And so. Mm-hmm she doesn't recognize her own child and like has this doll that she, like this raggedy Ann looking doll. Yeah. Um, and we have one in the hallway of our house. And every time I look at it, I'm like, that's the fucking Oscar doll. Uh, <laughs> it, it's real spooky. If you just like catch it at night, you're just like, Bit. I believe Cause you it. think of that. Cause you think of the scene from the director's cuts where it's on the noose and it turns around and does the, fl- it's real horrifying. Yep. <laughs> um, there's yeah. So this raggedy Ann looking doll, her mother thinks it's Asuka and so she like she takes care of the doll like it's her child and does not even like acknowledge that Asuka is her kid just like that little girl over there is trying to take your place yeah. and she thinks it's real yes. fucked up it's it's yeah oh. and Asuka is like a small child at this time you know yeah. like this is has to be around the same time as Shinji's uh as Yui Shinji's mom's contact experiment because yeah. they look about the same age and clearly because their mothers are doing the contact experiment that's why they've been chosen mm-hmm, for, mm-hmm. to be the pilots. So like Oscar has to deal with that and then like she finally gets the the news 
Um, and like her mother's like in a hospital being taken care of. Cause like, she's not quite all there. Um, after the experiment, what's left of her is not quite all there right, because right, you know, yep. most of her is in her motherly part of her, at least is in the Ava. Yeah. Uh, and they're trying to keep her alive and stuff. And, um, her father is like cheating on her with like one of the nurses at the hospital, uh, while she's like, which is just I a thing had that forgotten about that thread, but yes, that's a thing. <laughs> yep. That, yeah. Like she, because like, that's just a thing. Look, I did not because I'm disabled. And that's like a thing that you worry right, about if right. you're in a relationship and then you become disabled. Sometimes your partner is just like, I don't, I don't care about you the way I did. Cause right. you're now not able bodied. And you know, statistically men are more likely to do that shitty thing. Um, to yes. their partners. Yep. Uh, so this tracks with what's happening in the show. And then Oscar comes back from finding out that she's like, she got the, the this is going to be her purpose. Like, okay, her mother doesn't like necessarily acknowledge her and her dad's not paying attention to her because she's like running off and trying to replace her with uh, this new stepmom. But she opens that door and she finds what's left of her mother has hung herself. Yep. Um, yep. So like she finds her there and like that's, that's the last time that Oscar sees her mother. And so yeah. obviously given her upbringing, she's going to put all of her eggs in this Evangelion basket. Like she's going to be yeah. this pilot. She's going to be the best at it. And like, she has to define her worth around it. Cause right. that's that all becomes she the has. thing that gives her meaning now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that it. where that's... she gets validation and self-worth and yeah, mm-hmm, all of mm-hmm. the Yeah. And that's, and we see that expressed by all the pilots throughout this. Well, all, all of our, the three main pilots, at least uh, sure. exp- make that same sort of sentiment of like, if I'm not, I, I don't have worth if I'm not piloting the Ava. Like it's that thing that it's that only connection that I have um, to other people is through my value as an Evangelion pilot. Yes. Yep. It's the only way that they can define their worth and they have to, they're, they're trying to prove that value in different ways. Like Shinji's trying to prove himself like he's trying to earn his father's love through this thing. Like he, that boy just wants someone to genuinely love and care for oh, him. Oh Yeah. He, I mean, all the, the Shinji needs. story is just daddy issues, the television series. Yeah. He's daddy issues, uh, abandonment issues. Yep. He has, like, he has like literally is cl- like, not li- like there's no like scene where he gets diagnosed, but he's clinically depressed and he has yeah, like absolutely an anxiety is. disorder. He has all of these things. So yeah. Uh, Shinji's trying to prove his worth to his father. Oscar's trying to prove her worth to herself um, that like she has value this way because she's not, she can't get that validation anywhere else. Uh, Kaji doesn't want to pay any attention to her. And that's the only other real route um, she's tried. Yep. She tries to make a thing with Shinji happen, but that I feel like that's mostly just because like she just wants, like she's just trying to find that she's doing what Masada is doing. That's the parallel that's being drawn in that yeah, episode where that 100%, happens. 100%. Is that they're trying to find, they're trying to love themselves through the physical affection of somebody else. That's, yes. Yep. That's what's happening in that episode where that happens, where she tries to kiss. Which is a very real human experience, yeah. especially for people who have that kind of baggage and trauma. For sure. Um, and I think this is a good segue into Ray now. Yeah, because this is about like, we we didn't talk a whole lot about like the like mental breakdown that Oscar goes through, but mm-hmm. like that's really best. It's a rough watch. Don't get me wrong, but like that's really best experience in the show itself. Absolutely. So we don't need yep, to yep. belabor that too much because we're not going to do it justice of everything. Right. As long as you there. understand that's what happened to her. That's enough to convey what this clip show is conveying. Right. 
She ends up in a tub, like emaciated, possibly yep. with further self-harm because that water is pretty red. Um, yes. We don't see any wounds necessarily. We just see her like naked and emaciated in a tub full of what could be like bloody water. We right. My my read on that since the first time I have seen it mm-hmm. has been with the context of self-harm. But right. I'll grant you that it, it is not stated in text. It is heavily sure. inferred. It is all yes. like they do everything but showing you the marks on her body where the harm right. happened, yep. um, which is only which we're only delineating because like that's not a thing that Evangelion, I feel, would normally shy away from. That's why we're leaving it nebulous is because it shows you a <laughs> lot of gore. Um, yep. So yep. it's. Uh, so the absence of it is enough to go. Maybe that's just anyway, Ray. So yeah, Ray. Now Ray's joining the, the practice. She's like second violin or some shit. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Second chair violin. And Ray has a full relationship to Gendo Shinji's dad, Mm -hmm. further complicating all of Shinji's dad issues. Ray Ayanami. How do we outline? How do we outline Ray Ayanami? Good boy. I don't know. (laughs) Where to start? Ray is maybe the most, on a lore level, maybe the most pivotal character in terms of like the plot is revolving around really her as a, uh, like the lore of the world, everything that happens revolves around her as an entity. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Even if she's not like the focal character. She's not who we're experiencing the narrative. Right. Yeah. She is not our lead character, but she is 100% a funnel through which the entire story must pass. Yeah. The show does not happen without Ray Ayanami. Um, the, so Ray is God, where do we start? Do I, do, <laughs> do I do the weird alien shit first or do I tackle her as a person for like Ray Ayanami, the person when we're introduced to her, is like in a cast uh, and is like all fucked up and is after we first meet Shinji and he's being told, get in the robot. And he's like, yes. I can't fucking do this. I'm a 14 year old kid. And you're showing me this giant fucking robot. And you want me to get in there and do the fucking right. fighting and shit. And I can't do that. I'm like 14. Dad, telling what you me want to get me to the do? robot. I'm not going to get in the robot. And then his dad's like, well then get the fuck out of here. What use do I have for you? And he's like, oh right. shit, my dad doesn't fucking need me. God damn it. What? Yeah. So like he has to choose between like doing this terrifying thing that he's clearly not, uh, boy, you know, a father saying to his son, effectively, you don't have value to me. If you're not doing what I expect of you. <sighs> Good golly. Is that that's, Lord, I mean, Mark. it is devastating, oh. but that, that is subtext in a lot of father son relationships. Jesus. That hurt. And that yeah. sucks. That, yep. Who got, whose stomach got punched just now? Listener, show of hands. <laughs> uh, mine did for sure. Ray Ayanami is the first child, and she's pilot of Unit Zero, which is like a prototype unit for the Evangelion. Zzzza. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, she she was like they kind of used her to work out all the the kinks of this thing. Um yeah. and we're introduced yep. to her, it's just like she's this, you know, shy blue haired girl, uh that right. Shinji might kind of like there might be a little bit something there, but like Shinji doesn't quite know what that something is. Yeah. 
there's some energy between them. Mm-hmm. But what what that energy is is intentionally vague. Yeah, uh, it is. It is vague in a way that they sh- that it should have been more vague. If Star Wars was planned out properly from the beginning, it's how the Luke and Leia thing would have felt. Yes, from 100%. the first movie, um, rather than the weirdness that happened in that movie. That's what's going there. There's energy there, but we know it's not quite like a, a romantic thing. But there's something. There's something there that ties them to get that. There's like there's something there. That something we come to find out is oh she's a physical clone of his dead mother that's what's right. happening there because Gendo yeah. said i needed i needed to i need we need somebody to that we can not only test the this big giant robot thing on but we need a body that can usher in the, into the fucking world <laughs> yep yep if you didn't get it by now this is apocalypse fiction um yeah it is it's that's Gendo's really what the, heart the show of it. is <laughs> And Gendo's a big part of it. He's a big, he is not necessarily like the person who started it, but he's in the driver's seat and he's going to get his way. God damn it. Yep. Um, so he clones, you know, this uses like a, a physical clone of his wife. And then they implant the soul of this creature called Lilith, which is uh, functionally, uh, within the lore of the show, it's just another angel. Um, yes. Uh, within like lore, it's designated as the the second angel. It and the angel Adam are progenitor entities. Like they yep. come from elsewhere in secondary canon. They come from something called the first ancestral race, and they are sent out as seeds of life to uh, be fruitful and multiply and spread life around the universe. Um, and turns out the central axis with which the lore of the show not the actual like the the thematic elements and the stuff that like matters on a uh, emotional level which is the important part but an equally as rad part is all this cool lore about <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, seeding planets with seeds of life and no two progenitor entities are allowed to come into contact with each other because they were each given a different type of uh knowledge and this is like what a lot of like world religion stuff and specifically like within the context of the show, a lot of like Christian lore is built around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Lilith is where all of life on planet earth comes from. Each of those seeds of life. This is, this is actually the fun part for me. It's just talking about the weird lore of the show. I right? love this lore. I, this is something, I don't know if it's ever come up on the podcast, but I am a big lore nerd. Like if you put me in a mm-hmm. video game like Dragon Age, you better believe I am hunting down all of the text and spending hours reading the deep lore of that world. Mm-hmm. I love lore, Fair. especially when it's good like this. Yeah. So like Lilith and Adam come are, are seeds of life. They are sent out to populate things. They're sent out in uh, what are in continuity, uh, the black moon and the white moon. Lilith was sent out in the black moon, which is what like the, the like physical chunk of like matter that Lilith is inside of is the black moon yes. and it's sent out. And then like it bleeds everywhere. And then Tang becomes life that like it spread. It wanders the earth. It spreads its, its juices and it yep. spreads life. Um, they built the geofront, uh, which is the facility that nerve is in on yes. top of that black moon. 
So the <laughs> bottommost levels of that is this like cavernous remains of like an alien, not ship, but like this like meteor that came from elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, and then inside that, they have Lilith uh, crucified on a cross with uh, a, what's called the, the, depending on the translation you're watching, the spear or lance of Longinus. Right. Into it. And these are, those were sent out with the seeds of life so that if two of them ended up in the same place, uh, that it would stop one from propagating. Because what right. happens and that's another when, bit of, of, of Christian adjacent lore. Right, right. Historically, that's the spear that pierced the side of Christ. Right, right, right. Cassius Longinus is the man who pierced the. the right, right. Yeah. And broke water and blood. And yeah. We know that because of the tradition we were raised yep, in, but yep. the listener might not, I realize. And it's just now. a good name to grab when you're building around lore inspired by the Christian tradition. Like, oh yeah, yeah. there's a giant crazy spear. Of course it's Longinus. Yeah. They, Why it, wouldn't it is, you use that name? And the spear is like alive is the thing. It's like, yeah, it's this, it is this other living entity Um, is, is the, the the thing about it it's real fucking cool um so it's like stopping lilith's growth um because like just try to keep lilith in one place yeah it is is effectively holding her in stasis yeah presumably to keep it from like regenerating because they're able to the angels are able to regenerate lilith and adam are both progenitor entities adam is where all the angels in the show come from we come to find out like yep. that's that's where that that's the life that comes from Adam. That's right. What that looks that's like. his creative and, mojo. That's and we and everything else on the planet comes from Lilith. So like we are the official like term uh, within the canon of the show is Lilin for Lilins. yep Lilith based life. God, I it's easy to get lost in this. Lilith has it's so the, it's, uh, but I love it so much. Like you're talking about it, and I'm just like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's the good stuff. Yeah, yep. that's the good shit. Oh yeah, direct <laughs> put it right in my veins. Uh, yep. <laughs> Lilith has the fruit of knowledge, um, which, yep. you know, is why, like, mankind has developed and, like, we have, like... Right. We've learned how to, like, rationalize things and, like, work out, overcome things with, like, technology, and we that's how we've grown. And Adam-based life has the fruit of life, uh, which, you know, takes... The, we're borrowing from Genesis story again, right? Yeah, absolutely, yep. Uh, and they, that just means like they have like, it's, it's immortal energy. Like they can, they, you can't, you have to pierce the core or you can't kill them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise they just keep regenerating. They will live yep. presumably f- uh, forever. Um, yep. So and that's uh, why we need Ava's to battle them. Yep, there's a lot. Of, see, this is a lot of lore that's wrapped up in Ray's story before we can even really start talking uh, about tr- Ray. Yeah, because again, Ray's the funnel that this all passes through. Right, right. Um, so then that's where the Evangelions come from. They're all built off of. Uh, they're all, except for Unit One, built using, uh, the DNA of Adam. They are like clones physically of Adam, and then they build. Right. Like soulless body clones, just like Ray is like a physical clone of something, but yep. doesn't have uh, an intrinsic soul. And then they shove souls into them, which are the pilot's mothers. So that <laughs> yep, 
because some Freudian bullshit is happening. Um, because, you know, <laughs> like when they're in the pilot, this is the cool shit about Evangelion because they like they go into these what they think are robots and they're really just like big meaty creatures with restraints on them. Yeah, yeah. With with um like uh, an adult woman's soul crammed inside of them. Yeah. They have entire bits built onto the robots just to restrict that stuff. And it's floating like this soul is just this juice that we call it tang, but it's LCL. It's tang, like yep. the yeah, it's um in the core. That's what's inside the core of these things. Yep. Uh and then they inject the pilot into that core, flood it with LCL and then it commute like then it, they obtain a psychic link with their own mother to drive this big yep. monster. This shit's fucked up, and it's so good. Yep. It's yep. so good. Like, the lore stuff, even though it's not the point of the show, is just, it's incredible. I don't know where he came up with all this, but it's fantastic. <laughs> That's how those work, except for Unit 1, which is built off of Lilith. It's the same kind of process, it's just right. they yep, use yep. Lilith. So, Lilith gets speared in, in Terminal Dogma. Uh, there is a thing that happened a long time ago, which is atom-based life originally got here on the Earth. And it was the true, it's like who should belong on Earth. That's what was meant to be sent here. Yes. But then a Lilith yes. egg ended up here as well. Right. The Lilith, and this is all secondary canon. It's never explicitly stated in the show, but it's all through like supplementary material and interviews with Anno. Um, most readily available, weirdly, in a Nintendo 64 game that never came to the States. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that's the, this is what we're working with with the show. And uh, <laughs> Adam-based life was supposed to inherit the Earth. Lilith yep. egg ended up here anyway. Lilith came out. Um, Lilith-based life came into contact with Adam-based life. Which is the not Lances, supposed to happen. Right. The Lances did their job. Uh, one of the Lances was destroyed on impact. Um, we're not sure whose, but one of them was destroyed on impact. So only one Lance remained. But one of the... Uh, they come into contact with each other. The Lance activates and goes, you're not supposed to both be here. Yep. <laughs> It wipes out uh, all of like atom-based life. Gets like an impact event happens is what they're called in the show. The impact so event. They, I guess, in the lore of the show, they call the first impact when the meteor hit for the dinosaurs. Um, but <laughs> sure, like, that's the that's their cover for it in the class when right. they're explaining what the first impact is. Uh, but it's it was this the impact of this you know meteor that is the black moon hitting the earth and then uh, coming in contact with atom-based life and it wiping out. Um, when those that life came into contact with other base life, right? Yep. And what seems to be important there, I guess, for the mechanics of it, because we do have instances of like a dead angel being dissected and touched by other people. Obviously, like we have clones of Adam that people can touch. Mm -hmm. The necessity seems to be there that there needs to be like a both a soul and a body of that type of life coming into contact with the soul and body of that other type of life. Right. Right. Those are both, both, th that's both a whole being are necessary. Yeah. Those are, that makes them a whole being. And then they're coming into contact with each other. Yep. And that causes an impact level event. The second impact event was the Kasaragi experiment, uh, which is Masato's last name, um, yep. which was them discovering Adam in the white moon in Antarctica. That's where his hit. He was like stuck there. And then they pulled the Lance out of it. And uh, they, they're like, what if we come in, what if we put people into contact with Adam and 
everything. Uh, then what happens if we, we pull the lance out, we're just going to do some bullshit and then we're going to like inject human like DNA into this thing and see what happens. Uh, turns out an impact happens. Um, yep. And second impact event. It wipes out all of the people in the immediate vicinity and they have to like reduce and, and they have to reduce Adam to an embryonic state. And uh, that mostly brings us up to date. That's how Masato's father died. And she has like this cross necklace that is going to come into play later when we do another episode here. Yep. Bringing us all back around to like Ray's purpose. We've reduced Adam to an embryonic state. His Mm -hmm. soul has been separated from his body. That soul goes into Karu, who we're going to get to later on. Yep. Ray is in Lilith and they separate her soul, Lilith's soul from Lilith's body and they put it into Ray. Yep. Yep. Um, and that's where these two these two other characters come from. They are human embodiments of these alien beings from another world, right? That exists <laughs> that to be fruitful and multiple. They are, yes. Uh, just shoved into 14-year-old bodies. Um, so yeah, Ray is that she's like mother, she's like the mother of all creation. Yes. <laughs> On Earth. On Earth. That's who Ray is. She is like yep. the mother of Earth. 100%. And also made from the like the physical DNA of Shinji's personal mother. Yes. So like real strong. Uh, lots of mother stuff happening in the show. Yep. It's a story about an ancient like alien civilization implant, like implanting seeds of life throughout the universe that a 14-year-old like deeply traumatized child has to like pilot a robot version, uh, which isn't really a robot. It's like a cyborg, yeah, like meat mech thing. Um, it's a literal meat mech, and it, all of this is just like leading to a cataclysmic, like Book of Revelation esque, scorched earth fucking apocalypse. Like it's the best apocalypse fiction I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. Yes, <laughs> agreed. <laughs> we so we both grew up in evangelicalism, and there's Absolutely. a certain level of like that existential terror and dread uh, of like yep. this like weird cosmic uh, like cataclysm that is like sudden and 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 violent. This show captures that. Not it like sure it doesn't does. literally show you what is happening like biblically. But it captures that like weird existential terror and that weird joy yep. that you're seeing people take place, like yep. take in it all at the same. It captures it so perfectly and in a level that resonates yeah, with Gendo's whole thing is I'm going to hasten the day. Yeah. And I don't even like because like a lot of this is just like the Christian lore was like just weird set dressing. Like we yeah, like, oh, when you see yeah, yeah, yeah. when you see like in, in, like a movie from the seventies or the eighties that uses like Asian culture as set it, I, it doesn't need <laughs> yep. to be 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, any period. We still, you know, appropriate this bullshit. He's doing that with like Christian dogma and it's right. He does it really good. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's incredible. Um, and that's what this whole like series drives to. And that's like Ray's whole purpose to tie this back into what we're supposed to be talking about. Yeah, it sure is. Um, is she is meant to be the linchpin of the apocalypse. Yep. She was, purposefully built like she is a purpose-built instrument for the apocalypse she is brought up in in like not in like a sexual manner but still in a way that like makes sense that i'm sure will make sense she's being like groomed by gendo to be 
an object that answers to him and listens to him yep. and does what he yep. says uh, because she's going to be the, like... You know, that... like he wants Shinji to do. Right, but Shinji's never going to be able to <laughs> right. give that to him, so he's going to make a clone of his dead wife so that he can see his dead wife again. He wants That's what Gendo's in this <laughs> all for, yep. is that yep. Gendo can't love himself can't find any way to love himself or other people unless it's through the lens of Yui loving him. He and Shinji are the same person. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Generational trauma. There's so much explored in this show. The show is so good. This movie is is not great, but this show is so good. That's the thing is that like, I'm frustrated with this movie not being able to like, there's no way it could tackle all of those things, but I feel like it doesn't even pay lip service to a lot of these things. Um, so yeah, uh, Ray, that's, that's, that's why Ray exists. She is, she is the linchpin for the apocalypse. Um, yep. which we will get into, I think in the next episode is the best time to talk about all of that. Yeah, I, I would agree. There's going to be a lot of Ray talk in the next episode. Yeah. We do find out that her, like, there's a whole clone facility of like spare parts and bodies for her. Yeah. Uh, throughout the series, we see her suspended in a tank of LCL, which is which is just Tang from from Lilith. It's just yep, yep. It's just blood from the blood god. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. Uh, it's the primordial soup. She's just stewing in soup. That's what LCL is. That's what floods the cockpits, and she just stews in it. Um, and that helps preserve her body and helps you know keep her body from like. Lilith's soul from rejecting the body because the body just wants to decay and fall apart. So they have to have all these spare parts for her uh, whenever yep. it's getting it, like whenever she's starting to reach like the end of her like lifespan or whatever. And we see distinctly over the course of the show, three different rays. Um, the primary one is Ray two, which is the one we meet at the beginning of the show and through most of the series. Yes. Uh, Ray two. Yep. Yep. Ray one is a child uh, version of Ray. Like mm-hmm. the, right around the same time that Shinji and Asuka would have been that because they needed a child younger version of her like to have like like they're choosing the pilots all at the same time right and they all need to be a specific age so they have to play that illusion um uh (laughs) if that's where that there's a there's a meme that goes around uh that's just Gendo standing by ray one and it just it's just the subtitle of this isn't shinji which i love i don't know why (laughs) but it brings me joy every time i see it (laughs) um it works just on an absurd level and on the i'm like he's just happy to be with a child that isn't his own boy (laughs) (laughs) level uh it's a very funny yeah it's a very funny image on on multiple levels for me um that ray got choked out by ritsuko's mother who was building the Magi system, which is like the supercomputer that runs Tokyo. I know it sounds like we're diving into stuff that doesn't matter, but it's going to be necessary for the next episode. <laughs> um, so she, so Ray one gets strangled to death by uh, Ritsuko's mom, uh, Naoko. Uh, they're both named Akagi, Dr. Akagi. She Dr. built the Akagi, Magi yep. system. Strangles her to death. Uh, uh, we see literally like the shadow of a toddler go fucking limp or whatever. It's, yep. it's again, this, it's brutal. Um, and then they, because that's where the old hag stuff comes in because Ray doesn't know how to people. Um, 
And Ray seems like to be a very different Ray in her first incarnation here. Yeah. Like she, I, yeah. Like she seems like more of a whole person. And I want to get into yes. that a little bit. But after I finish my thought here. Uh, and she's like, old hag, you're an old hag, old hag. Hey, old hag. And <laughs> Dr. Kagi's like, yo, stop being a fucking brat. Um, that's pretty fucked up. And she's like, no. He's like, I'm going to tell the director on you. I'm going to tell Gendo. And she's like, no, Gendo calls you that. He calls you an old hag. You're useless, old hag. You have no, <laughs> you serve no purpose anymore, old hag. I don't even love you, old hag. He says this stuff all the time. <laughs> and which, you know, is true. Like he's like, Gendo's just like licking his wounds. There's this very evocative snapshot that we see of, uh, of Nako kissing Gendo. And like, she's yep. like clearly into it and he's just stone faced wide open. Like, oh yeah. Whatever gets this shit to like built so that I can see my wife. He again. is cold as a coffin nail in that scene. Yeah. He, d- oh. he does not care. He's, he's like, fine. If you want to like, give me like physical pleasure or whatever, but I do not care about you clearly. Um, which we come to find out that like Ritzko is kind of like following in her mother's footsteps yep. in that regard. Yep. Like in the background of the show, uh, yeah, Ritzko's having a whole journey. It's 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 in the, in background. the background. Yeah, Ritzko has a whole journey a whole in the show, just in the background of of this entire <laughs> yep. show. Her and Kagi Kaji just have like their own like little mini stories happening in the background that uh, aren't super important um, up front to the narrative of the kids, you know, finding out how to love themselves. So it's like way in the background. Uh, so yeah, um, that's. That was the the first version of Ray, and then like so that's, Ray yep. two is the one after that, right? Yep. Um, and my so like this is like this is a, a like a working theory among fandom, right? This is not I don't think confirmed anywhere explicitly, but I feel like there's enough there to where like at least in my head this all tracks. So don't write it and don't write it and be like that's not actual canon. You're just fan wanking. Maybe I am. <laughs> right. but There's enough here to support it for me. Uh, I believe after that incident um, that um, we see a rejection from of Unit Zero of other of people trying to pilot Unit Zero throughout the series, and what we see is like this version of Ray that we only see within uh, people interfacing with Unit Zero. It's like the weird fisheye lens one, and even whenever. Uh, whenever like Shinji like uh, is like interfacing with that, like he's like, he can feel like a presence of Ray is there. Uh, when Ray talks about, um, she, Ray mentions across a couple instances, uh, the me and the Ava. Uh, and it's hard to delineate. Like if she just means like me while piloting the Ava or literally me within the, like the me that's inside the Evangelion, because we do see like that other version of her, um, even from like her point of view, all of that combined with like all of unit one's erratic behavior and her, and I, I say her like unit zero. Um, uh, <laughs> when she like activates that first time and is like attacking Ritsko in the scene, when you see it from the point of view of the cockpit, Ritsko mm-hmm. has her mother's hair color and that, and she dyes her hair blonde, mm. but they otherwise have the same hair color. And she would look from like, similar to the way Naoko looked then. And so like my understanding of it is that there was like a fracturing there of, uh, in the same way that Asuka's mother's soul got fractured. Uh, so did like Lilith. And part of that went into unit zero and part of it stayed in Ray because we see a much more detached Ray Ayanami than that child version of Ray one. 
like Ray One is like a child, right? Like they just yeah, sounds like a, like, a, yeah. like the yeah, right. And then the Ray that we get from most of the series has that kind of detached quality. Yeah, absolutely. And then after that event in episode twenty three with the Angel Tower and the explosion, which we get the non director's cut version because it didn't exist yet in this right, film, right. which is not as good. Uh, the angel tower and then the explosion after it collapses back in itself. And she does the, it's so much better. The director, there's no reason to watch the regular versions. Watch the director's cuts. They're universally better. Then afterwards, when she, when Ray three shows up and we get that third version of her, she has more of like, she's grappling with those more human emotions again. Like Mm -hmm. she's like, I must be the third. And then she sees the glasses. She starts crying. And, uh, she has that autonomy that she didn't have in that second mm-hmm. um, thing. She can seemingly incarnation. Yeah. Yeah. She seems to be able to like, even like do things like in the Karu episode, when we're going to get to that shortly after this, um, when they detect another AT field um, and her going down into terminal dogma, like she can seemingly do things now. Um, she can float yeah. and shit. Um, they don't expressly show you her floating just yet, but how else did she get down? Um, so yeah, that's like, that's my, that's my working understanding of it is that like, there was a fracture that happened there and part of it, part of her ended up in unit zero. Um, and when they did the exchange test in the show proper, we see her and Shinji trading cockpits to see how they interface. They do a, that exchange test during an episode. Um, and Ray can interface with unit one because it's it's made out of Lilith, like it's sure. it's her meat and her soul like are cooperating there, and like her body and Yui's soul are compatible, right? Because that's a so like there's all there's compatibility both ways there. But Shinji can't interact with Unit Zero, um, and he just sees the weird fucked up like fish islands ray right. before it goes berserk again. So yeah, that's like my working understanding of it. Not everyone I've talked to agrees with me there. But uh, I think there's enough compelling evidence. Like, that's not stated anywhere, but everything else is drip-fed throughout the show that you have to piece together yeah, anyway. Yeah. And I feel like that's just as explicit as some of the other stuff that we know is Lloyd. Yeah, um, I think that's a super valid read of all of that. Uh, so that's that's Rei Ayanami. She's an alien inside of a people shape. Yes. <laughs> Are we are we ready to talk about our precious precious boy yet? Is it time to talk about the fourth children? <laughs> it is almost time to talk about. I said that specifically to make you hate me, just so you. The, know. I, well, he's the like he's the fifth children. He is the fifth. Uh, child. I messed up my own joke. He's the fifth child. Um, I really hate that they say children, but <laughs> I know. we're we're almost there. We will talk about the fourth children. Uh, whatever the <laughs> fuck that is on our way through there let's do it let's do it in this way because like i think the movie has it backwards but in terms of like chronologically it makes more sense for us to talk about um the bardial fight the bardial fight includes the fourth child which is not one of the mm-hmm. four that show up in this movie really um no but it's a but, part of the story yeah like toji uh toji and kensuke are like Shinji's friends at school and when he's fighting the dick angel they get in the cockpit with them because they're like giving him a hard time he's like uh and then they see how much it traumatizes them and they come to understand Shinji better and they like have a there's been vulnerability there so they they form a bond he ends up being chosen uh to be the fourth child 
and they fly over uh, right. AV Unit 3 from the U.S. branch, which yep. is in Nevada, and it was wiped out when they did the activation experiment on Evangelion Unit 4. Uh, it just got right. wiped off the map. Uh, and they're like, well, we're not going to make that mistake twice, so we're going to send this to the Japan branch and make them do it. Yep. <laughs> you know, because uh, America. <laughs> Bardiel is the name of the angel that, like, infects AV, uh, AV Unit 3. They fly through, like, some clouds and shit, and the angel's yep. just, like, hanging out there, and it infects that. So Toji uh, ends up being part of the activation experiment. Shinji doesn't know that it's Toji in there. This is handled. This He's fight got a is, sense that someone's in there, but he yeah. doesn't know it's Toji. When when Shinji like is deployed, Asuka and Ray have already been sent out ahead of his position, right? And right, they, yep. um, and Asuka knows that Toji was chosen because she saw it on the computer. Um, yes, <laughs> I think Kaji's computer, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Kaji's computer or Ritsuko's, one of those two saw who the uh fourth child is um saw that it was toji so like they get like trounced by this angel in an ava suit basically mm-hmm. and toji's stuck in there and can't eject so shinji doesn't find out until like he gets closer and then he's like oh uh that's it that dad that's a that's an ava that's not an angel i think you need to check your notes you got something wrong here <laughs> he's like no you that's the angel and you're gonna fucking kill it right now and he's like okay but ain't there like a like a kid in there and he's like yeah <laughs> shut just do what i told you and shinji doesn't want to fight him because he's like i don't want to accidentally kill this kid because yeah you know, shinji is a human being with empathy <laughs> right <laughs> with so much empathy and his dad is like okay fuck you turn on the dummy plug system right uh we have to talk a little bit about the dummy plug system those clones of ray those spare parts are what are used in the dummy plug system because it tricks yep. the soul inside of the Evangelion into thinking that there is a body there, like that there's somebody yes. else in the cockpit in order for it it's to a activate. Super morbid autopilot. Yep, it's yep. It's you know how we cr- <laughs> we crammed the the soul of a, a mother into the these <laughs> eldritch horrors. Uh, now there's also just this body of a 14 year old girl with no soul inside yep. it. Uh, in there being tricking it into activating um so that activates and so yui takes control of unit one um without shinji shinji interfacing and just goes ham on bardiel for reasons unbeknownst to me crushes the entry plug uh i guess just to make sure like in case there was like any infection or whatever just to make sure you know just just to make sure yeah yeah i think yes then the dummy plug system goes offline shinji can see everything again sees that it's toji and he's all fucked up in there Screams dramatic ending to the episode. Shinji then gets mad and goes, threatens to like destroy Nerve HQ mm-hmm. afterwards. And Gendo's like, fuck you. Have you forgot that like we can control these systems remotely? And then they increase the LCL pressure to where like it knocks his ass out. Like it compresses his, like knocks literally all the like <laughs> air out of his lungs. And so like he wakes up there, he takes him to custody. He runs away for the second time. And this is why I want to talk about it yeah. before we got to. Zeruel, or Zeruel, because that's what happens when Shinji comes back. So the Zeruel fight, which happened earlier in the movie than it showed the Bardiel stuff, but in the show happened afterwards. Shinji doesn't want anything to do with fucking Nerve anymore, but is convinced to come back because he's like talking to Kaji and like sees Asuka get wiped out, who's like great at combat. 
just get absolutely decimated. Arms get cut off and then they disconnect her from the her sync ratio. They drop it before it can hit the head because otherwise it's going to feel yep. like she's getting her head knocked off. And that'd be a real shock to her her nervous system. Like they don't know what that's going to do to her necessarily. Because something we didn't touch on is they're interfacing with these things. But that sync ratio, uh, the higher it is, the more they feel the damage that these uh, things are having incurred upon them. So right. like, unless it's at an absurdly high level, it doesn't have like, doesn't actually take a physiological toll on them. Like it doesn't actually damage them, but all the nerve endings, like everything still is sending those same feelings to the brain of, you know, if your arm, if the Ava's arm gets cut off, it feels like they got their arm cut off to some degree in case it wasn't enough. Like, body horror happening in this hand <laughs> right so he sees that happen he sees ray get sent up uh with a partially repaired unit zero from still being repaired from the bardial fight tries to set off an into mine which are these like big explosives that they usually try to take angels out with before they deploy the avas because the government wants to spend its money blowing things up and watching its fireworks go boom. <laughs> yeah and then unit zero gets taken out as well and so like there's nothing to stop this angel from reaching the geofront he rushes back demands to be into put into unit one kind of like has that moment where he stands up to his father and he's like no i'm the pilot i'm gonna do this let me do this gets in there stops him last minute uh during this fight the power goes off ava's run on like big batteries they're really mm -hmm. big like objects and like while the creatures inside don't need energy they need that energy to help move the armor plating that covers them the kill switch there is it runs out of energy and it can't maintain that motion. So it's like, it's just going to put everything on lockdown. It's going to lock everything in place that away. It can't just run berserk. Right. Uh, so it reaches that point and like the shutdown happens. And then Yui wakes the thing up anyway. Uh, Cause Yui is <laughs> Shinji's mom is in a thing. And says like, no, I can't like, you're going to fuck up my plan and I can't let my kid like die this way. Uh, so it comes back and does, you know, the mama bear thing and vores an angel just casually. <laughs> yep. Yep. Eats it. We were talking earlier about the fruit of like knowledge and the fruit of life and the angels have yep. the fruit of life. Uh, yep. In universe, like they refer to it as the angels having an S2 engine. Super solenoid yes. is what the two S's stands for. Everything has to have a complex name. It's Ono. It's weird. Fan wankery. Yep. Not fan wankery, but like uh, psychobabble, not psychobabble, right. technobabble. But really That's fun the word. if you like that sort of stuff. Lots of technobabble in this show. Unit one eats the angel's core. Yeah. And now does not require energy to function. Like they don't. Yep. Like it now has the fruit of knowledge of like, you know, of mankind yep. in it in UE and has uh, the fruit of life from the angels all in that one core. Yep. So like it has, it's now like a, a demigod. As it were. Yeah. You, yeah. you remember those limiting plates? No longer a concern. They do not. Yeah, they they got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is break right out of them. And if Yui wants to do anything, basically, at this point, Yui's going to do like like what she wants. The limiters aren't going to be able to, to stop her. We see her awakening the Ava as early as episode one on its own, but it doesn't like do the whole like break out of its armor plating or whatever. Right. Uh, so that happens. And those are just like big impactful moments uh, that were worth going over before we talk about Karu. Now we can talk about Angel Boy. Yeah. The best boy. The bestest of boys. <laughs> uh, so Karu is uh, my sweet gay child and I love him. And yep. he's my favorite character in this entire series. 
he shows totally up for, legit. he's literally just in one episode and one movie <laughs> of the original series and he's like incredible the energy between him and shinji is palpable it's so good there are people out here out there in the world to this day and netflix did not help with this conversation that swear up and down that there is nothing romantic happening there. Oh, they're just two best friends. They're just two bros. It is absurd to me, Mark. (laughs) From the first day I watched it, I was like, that's his boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When I was like 20 years old and like, this is long before unpacking my own sexuality. I was like, that's their boyfriends, right? Like that's what's happening here. Um, there is no other legitimate way to read this. You have to be intentionally and willfully misinterpreting. Karu shows up and is humming like Ode to Joy, I think. Sure. Yep. Yeah, I think that's right. This is at a point where Shinji has not, has like really nobody left, right? Because this yeah. is after Kaji dies. And so Masato has disconnected and is too depressed yep. to handle a child. When she yep. tries to like, just even make physical contact with Shinji. He's like, no, don't fucking touch me. The headspace he's in is like, now I am afraid to even make physical contact with another person and get close because like, I, Kaji just died. People are like that. I got close to have just died. I just watched Asuka get fucked up. Like for like a whole episode or whatever else like that. That was traumatizing. Then we thought Ray died. I cannot get close to people anymore. I can't fucking do this. And then this sweet little boy comes along and he shows him all of the like love and acceptance that he has wanted from everyone else on the show. Yep. And he doesn't ask anything in exchange of it. No, he like, it's not transactional. He's just like, Mm -hmm. no, I just, I think you're like, you just fascinate me and I really care about you and I'm going to show that. And that's, yeah. Karu expects nothing in return. Like it's it's such a beautiful display of like non transactional like, love between two sweet boys in nineteen ninety five or nineteen ninety six, whenever this particular episode aired. Ah, oh, I love media today is still like struggling to catch up, I feel like in a lot of ways <laughs> to this scene. People can play it off and be like, Okay, but like like what do they what do people want, Mark? What do they want? <laughs> what do they need to see on screen for them to believe that these two boys love each other? They literally both say they love each other. Like, we're going to talk about a little bit more of, like, how explicit it is when we get into End of Evangelion. Yep. Karu just looks at this boy, and Shinji melts. Like, he yeah. he blushes. The first time Karu looks at him, Shinji blushes with his whole fucking face yeah, and starts does. stammering. He's like, I can't. You, like, what do I call you? What are you? What's your name, though? Yeah. I was like, you can call me Karu. Like, Karu Shinji. He's like, you can just call me Shinji. It's it's so cute. He's just like, they're both just very clearly into each other from the offset. Yeah. It's such a beautiful, like, weird, cute love at first sight out of nowhere towards the end of the show. And because it's this show, you know it's not necessarily built to last, but it's so sweet while it's there. Then they, like, the next time that, like, he sees Karu after, like, the sync rate tests or whatever is he's mm-hmm. waiting for him. Like, he's waiting for him to get down with the sync ratio test. He's, like, just <laughs> sitting there. Listening to his Walkman, waiting for the boy he likes to get out of, like, class or whatever, right? Still blushing upon seeing him. Like... 100%. Y'all, what are you doing? Every other time... No, I've never heard anybody been like, you know when he was doing all that blushing and stuff around Asuka earlier in the show? That was just... They're just buds. They're just friends. They're just pals. 
No. Uh, clearly not. So, like, they go take a bath together, which, like, I know communal bathing is a whole thing, but, like, you know what's not a whole thing? Holding hands uh, and looking longingly at each other and blushing and telling the boy you just met that you love him. That's not, a, like, a Japanese tradition. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a thing. Yeah, it's absurd. And then they go back to, like, Shinji's place, and Kaguya's like, oh, can I sleep over at your place? They are, like, U-Haul lesbianing this fucking relationship. <laughs> they, just, are. they just saw each other, and they're like, oh, so we're a couple now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he sleeps over there. He stares at the boy while he's, like, like Shinji's, like, talking at the ceiling, and, Shin- and like, Kaguya's just, like, staring at him, like, from the bed. He's just like... <laughs> I love this. I've just met you and I love, I would, I just met you and I would die for you. It's that exact energy. <laughs> and so then like Karu has to go do the thing that Karu has to do. Like the thing that, uh, Sele, which we haven't talked, touched on much, but Sele is like the big company trying to bring about the, like, like they're like the Illuminati, right? They're like this cabal yeah. of old men yeah, yeah, yeah. who have used technology to keep themselves alive throughout the years yeah. Um, that we see communicating with Gendo um, earlier in the series. Uh, mm-hmm. And they're presumably the reason that Kaji got killed because he was sniffing around where he wasn't supposed to be. They're like, no, you got to, you, you need to go like they exposit for the audience. They're like, you're, you're Adam in, in the body and whatever else. This is where we find out like he's Adam in human form. Yes. He says, he talks to Ray and is like, we're the same. Like, yeah, you're like me. You're also a big alien shoved into a human. Meat suit. <laughs> huh? Like you can immediately tell there's a vibe there between the two yeah. where they're like, yeah, they're, yeah. Re- they recognize that. And then he goes and does what he's supposed to do. And he goes to try and get to Lilith, which is seemingly what all the angels except for Gagiel were doing. Gagiel was after Adam, which was an embryonic state being the body yes. of Adam was being brought over in an embryonic state. Uh, but every every other angel seemingly is heading towards Lilith, which is at the bottom of what they call Terminal Dogma underneath Nerve. So he hijacks Unit 2. He's replacing Asuka because Asuka can't get Unit 2 to move anymore because she uh, is like has is going through ego death, basically, and takes him down the tunnel. Shinji has to go after him, stop him. Shinji is obviously heartbroken and now at his lowest. Oh, yeah, this, this poor boy. This boy that he just like fell in love with at first sight and he thought that he could trust and that he felt genuine like compassion from um now he sees this as like a horrible heinous betrayal um and some amount of what Karu has been doing uh is like he's he's been lied to about the ends of this like what's necessarily going on by Sele to get him to go down there because once Karu gets down there and sees that it's Lilith and not Adam is like oh this ain't my body <laughs> Um, this is, <laughs> this is Lilith. This is not, this, this is the me. wrong body. This is the wrong body. Oh, this is Ray's body. Hi, Ray. Staring up. I, I stare up looking at her as she looks down on this whole mess going right. on and is learning things about herself, remembering things about herself. And then Shinji has to kill his boyfriend and it's real sad and bad because. Oh, it is in a, in a series that has endless string of heartbreaking moments it is the most heartbreaking moment it's real sad um it's so sad i will defend the elevator scene to the death 
I think mm-hmm. that was a good directorial decision. You're stewing in that elevator with Oscar and Ray, feeling the tension there of like we like there's awkwardness here. We know these two characters. We know Oscar's in a bad state of mind right now, and we yep. know she really hates Ray, and she's yep. stuck in this confined area. And so the tension there is palpable and it's deliberate. And I will defend that choice to the death. The single frame of him holding Karu as the music Ooh. swells yep. is. It's a lot and it's good, but I do think it goes too long. I It is so much screen time. It goes on twice as long as it needs to, honestly. Um, I wish the music was just cut differently. Um and mm, if it got like yeah, that's fair. like the one that's like the one change I would make to the series as a whole is I would shorten that because it does reach a point of absurdity where it's no longer a tense moment waiting for him to make the decision to kill Carl. Right. It is pretty wild that this clip show decided to preserve 100% of that scene. Right? That's It's wild <laughs> to me. That lasts forever. Fascinating choice. <laughs> Clearly deliberate because Anna said, no, it's we're going to show the whole thing again. Yep. You're so going to take happens. your medicine, dang it. In the show afterwards, we see uh, them hosing off the hand, like Unit 1's hand that's just like covered in blood mm-hmm. from... Where he got squished. We saw like Karu's head drop yeah. into the LCL. And Karu's soul returning to that LCL and my reading of it is, is what's happening there as well. Based off of impact mechanics, which yep. we'll talk about a little bit more when we get to End of Evangelion. Yeah, then Shinji is like back at the lake. Uh, this lake that he's at, by the way, is a big crater lake where a big chunk of the city was where Ray blew <laughs> yeah. up. And the nearby lake has like flooded into it. And there's like that statue that Karu was like standing, like sitting on whenever you first met him is like this headless, like gargoyle looking thing. Mm-hmm. And like, we get another shot of that, like headless gargoyle thing and like the rust over the like top of it. So it looks like, like a, the, it's like bloody and headless. So many like still shots like that are so good. Yeah. They, yeah. They make excellent use of those. Um, and they're just like staring. It's just him and Ma- Shinji Masato sitting at that lake talking. It's not in the movie proper, but it's an important scene because that's where we find out like, no, he loved Karu as well. Yeah. And uh, a particularly like a good exchange there is like, look, Shinji, you didn't do anything wrong. It was like one of you had to survive and you made the right choice. You survived and like you were meant to survive because you're the one that survived. He chose to die. So he died. And Shinji's response at the very end is something to the effect of like, you don't understand how cruel you're being. And it's like, ah, it hits. It's, it's so oh. good. It hits so good. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's like for all intents and purposes, the ending of everything that's being recapped in this. Yes. Yes. Because that's where we're connecting into the, the entire discussion we had at the beginning about episodes 25 and 26 and how end of Evangelion sits on top of them. And mm-hmm. so this recap stops there. Yeah. End of Evangelion is literally divided up into like two forty something minute episodes, 25 and 26. And boy, there's so much more. I know we've been talking a lot, but there's that was really trust me, listener. That was the short abbreviated version. And there's so much more. I did my best to truncate everything down to a two-hour digestible version of it. Yep. And I and I keep thinking, like, there's huge chunks of lore that we just didn't, didn't have time to. to get into. But you know what, Mark? I did a better job than this movie did. So You sure did. You sure <laughs> did. Because you gave a lot more relevant content than this movie did. Uh, goodness. <sighs> Boy, I love this show so much. I just love Ava. I love the world. I love the characters. I love it. 
That said, this actual movie, the discussion we just had, very Uh fun. This actual movie, sort of a drudgery. (laughs) Yeah, not great. (laughs) Not great. It it took three times for me to settle and be like, okay, I accept it for what it is. And that's like three times over the course of like 15 years now. (laughs) (laughs) It took me that long to kind of come to terms with, I guess this is fine. It's fine. But I'm never going to watch it again if I can help it. I'm not going to say it's good, but it's fine. It's... it. But what it did was let us have a two-hour conversation about how cool Ava right. is. Which is why we included it. Like, it was, I looked at the lineup of all the movies that released theatrically, and I saw Death and Rebirth, and my first impulse was, we can skip that, it's a clip show. But it did technically have a theatrical release. And it is just recapping the series. So I thought, why can't we just recap and talk about the series? Yeah. While we go over what, this yeah, movie let us do it. a little stage setting, a little reminiscing. Yeah. yeah. It's a low-key, I can fix this, because I'm just telling you <laughs> all the things that should have been represented in some form in this movie. The end result of this movie is, it's just kind of a disappointment. It's fine, Yeah, but it, it's what it does is remind you of something you really love. Mm-hmm. And, and for that, it's fun, but like, it's, it's, it's not good as, it, as its own device. Yeah, it is not. It's not even really great at recapping Ava, but if no. you already know Ava inside and out, it will remind you of some of the highlights and, and you know. So, yeah, I think we've talked about Ava as much as we could. This, is, this episode has already gone long. I don't want <laughs> to stop talking about Ava, but we probably do need to eventually stop so I can edit this episode. That's how I feel as well. <laughs> All right, well, what is next then? Next up is The End of Evangelion. That is a very misleading second episode title. It is, but it'll make sense. Some, uh, <laughs> trust me. The Third One Sucks is a Retrograde Orbit radio production. If you like the show, make sure to rate and review it on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps us out. Follow us on Twitter at the Third One Sucks or email us at thethirdonesucks at gmail.com where we can chat about episodes and take your suggestions on what you would like us to cover in the future. That's the, the number three, rd1sucks at gmail.com. If you aren't already tired of our voices, you can check out our other projects, including Mindful Self-Indulgence, where Dan interviews folks about the media that has most impacted their lives, and Mount Olympus, where Mark and a panel of friends watches and reviews the Hercules and Xena television franchises, along with the rest of the Retrograde Orbit Radio family of podcasts at retrogradeorbitradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again in the sequel. Uh, good job editing this uh, episode, Future Mark. I don't know how you did it, but good job. <laughs>